0: If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, my text tonight is really beginning in verse 17 down to verse 35, but I'm not going to read the entire text, we're going to pull some scriptures out tonight, because we're, our topic is how do we deal with discontentment, dealing with discontentment. So our text tonight that we're going to read from, verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24 in 1 Corinthians 7. I think, I hope by the time we read those, you'll realize why I've chosen no particular verses as we look at discontentment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. But as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. Verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Verse 24. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. Now I hope you caught the pattern there, why I chose those specific verses. Paul is writing, of course, to the Corinthian church, a relatively new believers in Christ. And not unlike today, they come from all kinds of different backgrounds. Some were single when they, became, when they became saved. Some were already married, some were slaves. Some were circumcised, some were not, some were not slaves, and for whatever reason, evidently there's a push going on to not be satisfied where you were when Christ saved you. And Paul said, it doesn't matter what your lot in life was, when Christ saved you, be satisfied where you are, where God has placed you. Now, I thought as I I considered this message, how to deal with discontentment, if we're going to deal with discontentment, it's important to know what contentment is. Because the Bible says Paul wrote Timothy, and I don't have the verse in my notes tonight, but Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain. Now I want to tell you tonight, folks, I am content. I am satisfied with what God has done for me. But I looked the uh, the word contentment up in the dictionary. And I don't remember which one it was I looked at there. I Googled it, of course. And one dictionary said this. Contentment is a state of being contented. Satisfaction, ease of mind, the act of making contentedly satisfied. Now, unless you're living on Mars or somewhere else, you have to know it's a rare thing in our world today, especially in our culture, to find someone who is truly content with their condition in life. Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about contentment. A lot to say about being satisfied with what we have, with who we are, and where we're going. In Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat or more than food, and the body more than raiment. What's the answer? Yes, it is. And so, I suppose if we want to, in a nutshell, what Christ is saying to us, we need to learn to be content with what we have. And it's interesting, he gives us a direct command not to worry about the things of this world. Aren't you glad we never worry? Oh, man. I don't want to i know i shouldn't but notice in verse 31 of matthew 6 what he adds to that 31 through 33 therefore take no thought saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed for after these things do the gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. And then verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Several years ago, uh, we were traveling to Gatlinburg. And... Uh, not my favorite place to go, but sometimes some of my favorite people go down there. And we enjoy, not you, Rick, don't be looking around, okay? Uh, but we enjoy being with them. And we were traveling down uh, to meet with them. And I think Terry and Larry and I were already down there. And we knew we were going to meet with them. And it just so happened the time of day that we were going to arrive uh, was going to be about supper time. Uh, and we, we had planned on meeting at a certain restaurant. Well, on the way down, I I, I thought of something, you know what? uh I forgot my deep fryer at home, and I, I I need to have something for breakfast in the morning, and so we stopped by Walmart, and got me a deep fryer. Now let me—it's going somewhere here, okay? And and so we sat down. I said now, I said to uh, to uh, to Terry and Larry and to Rick and Ruby, I said now look, y'all y'all are thinking about tonight's meal, I'm thinking about tonight and tomorrow, you know. <laughs> and I, I thought, wow, Jesus said, take no thought what you're going to eat or what you are going to drink. But as we take this in the context of what Christ is talking about here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's, it's it's important to understand that for you and I as children of God, if we lack contentment, it is sin. And it puts us in the same category as those who do not know God. Now remember, Jesus said, after these things do the Gentiles see?" And you're to be different. We are to be different. Now, most of you know the Apostle Paul. You know that he was a man who had suffered through a lot of things. He spent a lot of his life going without the comfort of life. And, in fact, um, Jeremy and I were talking about this several months ago. Uh, as you read Paul's testimony in Second uh, Corinthians 11, it's, it embarrasses me sometimes. The things he endured... For the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's interesting, in spite of all he had experienced, all the negative things, all the mistreatment and persecution, Paul realized the secret of contentment. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 11 through 13. Not that I speak in respect of want. Now think about that. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, there would to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now think about that. Paul says it doesn't matter when he said, my state, not talking about a state like Ohio or Indiana. He's talking about the condition he's in. Whatever his circumstances are, Paul says, I have learned to be satisfied with it. Paul says, I know how to have plenty. I've been there. I know how to live on little. I have been there as well. In fact, no matter where I'm at, rich or poor, in between, Paul says, I am content. He goes on to say, I've been instructed. In other words, I've learned, I've been taught through my trials and tribulations how to be full and how to be hungry. I've been taught how to abound, but also taught how to suffer need. I am content. And by the way, verse 13 is probably one of the most uh, verses pulled out of context, saying that God gives us strength to anything. That's true, I guess. But Paul is saying this. Through Christ. I have the strength to be content in no matter what my situation is. In good times, in bad times, in between times, I am content. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 5 and 6, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Live your life without covetousness. Live your life being content with whatever you have. And then the writer, he would remind what Jesus said That he would never leave or forsake us. Hold on, folks. Having that promise should be enough. No matter what we go through, no matter what our circumstances, Christ promised he would never leave us or forsake us. We know that's true. We know the Lord is our helper. We know we shouldn't fear because without a doubt, with God on our side, Paul asked a question in Romans 8, who can be against us? The answer is no one. And yet, in spite of those promises that we have as Christians, and I I can understand the unsaved, but more and more saved people continue to seek something for contentment. Folks, we have all we need in Christ. And even people in our world are seeking more things in this world and they're never contented with what they get in life. <laughs> Every once in a while I get a thought that's original. I mean, not very often, okay? And it's been quite a few years ago, but I was witnessing to my dad, and, and he was sharing some things that, I don't know, moaning and groaning. I said, Dad, the problem you have is you've never been contented with what you've got." If you're not content with what you have, you'll never be content with what you get. We've got to learn to be content. You've seen it. I've seen that bumper sticker that reads, whoever died with the most toys wins. I mean, that's a lie of the devil. Smells like smoke from the pit. But it simply sort of uh, epitomizes the craving our world has for more and more and more. Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the most wisest man who ever lived, or the wisest man, I guess I didn't even put most in there, but Ecclesiastes 5.10, here's what he said. He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Think about that. And what are people pursuing? They're pursuing money. And Solomon said, by the way, did he have money? you got to know he did. You better know he did. But Solomon said, if you love silver, you'll never be satisfied with it. If you love to increase, you'll never be satisfied no matter how many, much stuff you have. So when we talk about being content, when the writer of Hebrews says, be content with such things that you have, that means that you and I, as believers, we should put our trust, and our confidence in God. And we do that knowing that He is the giver of all good things. And knowing that He uses even the hard times of our life, the difficult times of our life, to show that our faith is genuine. And we talked about that in Peter's letter this morning in Sunday school. So, when tough times comes, our faith is being tested as a fire, It purifies it as gold, and our faith is far more precious than of gold. Our world is lacking contentment. But our topic tonight is on discontentment. How do we deal with discontentment? (laughs) And if you haven't at least an overview of Scripture... You know, from almost the beginning of time, there have always been some who are not happy with their situation in life or in existence. The first recorded instance of that in the scriptures that we read about involved an angel. You know the story? It involved an angel. The angel's name was Lucifer. means the shining one. many of theologians believe he was the brightest of the angels the brightest star and so to speak he was at the top the apex of God's creation and he wasn't satisfied he was not content the fact of the matter he was discontented He wanted something more. Something more than the position God had placed him in. And the position that he had, if I understand the scriptures correctly, the position he had was the greatest of all created beings, the shining one. And because he was discontented, that discontentment caused him to lead a rebellion against the Most High God. And the Bible says that one-third of the angels fell with him. And by the way, I hope you know by now, nobody wins when they rebel against God. Not even the brightest angel. Nobody wins. Satan didn't win. And because he rebelled, because he was discontented, Satan and those who followed him were kicked out of heaven. Now we don't often refer to him today as Lucifer. That nothing can be wrong with that, but we know him now as Satan the devil, our adversary. And I want you to realize what began so many years ago, centuries ago, continues today. He still is rebelling against God. He hates God. He stands against God. And I want you to know, if you're a child of God tonight, he stands against you. He stands against you. And don't forget, it was his discontentment that caused it. He wasn't satisfied with the position God had given him. And by the way, Satan has taken that discontentment and it's been his greatest weapon against people since that day. Now, by the way, I know the world doesn't understand this, and I know that Satan is our enemy, but the fact of the matter, he's everybody's enemy. He wants to destroy lives. And one of the ways he does it is by making us discontented. I don't know if I ever do this, but in my mind, I have a lot of questions I want to ask God. Amen. We know that God knows everything. He knows it ahead of time. God never wakes up in the morning and says, I didn't know that was coming. We know better than that. And we, we wonder, you know, God created a place, the Garden of Eden. Placed man, and created Adam, placed him there. Created a woman, placed her there with Adam. A perfect place. And yet, Satan was allowed to enter that domain. I don't understand that, but You know, God's in He's God, and I'm not. But what's interesting, I told you earlier that Satan has used discontentment from that time on as one of his best weapons. And if you know the scripture, you know his first victory came in the Garden of Eden. Did it not? He approached Eve. And right away, he places a question in her mind. Now, hold on. All of a sudden, because of that question, Eve, who had been contented in a perfect place, in a perfect world, in a perfect garden, all of a sudden, she was now convinced that God was holding something back from them. And all of a sudden, the contented Eve became Discontented, A weapon of Satan. All because of Satan's lie. And make a mistake about it. I have no doubt in my mind as I look at the scripture. Eve thought that when she took and ate of that fruit. She would find true contentment. How many know that backfired? Yeah. She thought she would, but she didn't. So she took the fruit, she ate it, and the Bible says she gave it to Adam, and he ate it as well. So way back in the beginning, in chapter 3 of Genesis, sin enters human race. Satan comes into the garden, And he sows seeds of discontentment. But my friend, those seeds brought forth a bitter harvest of disobedience. And what a bitter harvest it was. And that harvest, that bitter harvest of disobedience, led to the loss of paradise. And it brought evil into this world. And I want you to know this is a true story. And in true stories, not everybody lives happily ever after. And from that day on, the world has been living unhappily ever after. After Eden, after what happened in the garden, we have never been fully satisfied with anything. Isn't it true? Isn't that true? Never fully satisfied with anything on earth. And I want you to realize, if we were allowed to leave for another thousand years, we still won't be satisfied. Not with things on this earth. Because of sin, because of discontentment, We're always wanting something different. You know the old adage, the grass is always what? On the other side. But you know what I found out? It might be greener, but sometimes you can't eat the stuff. It's not edible. Got a list here. Help me out. When we were young, we wanted to be what? Older. We wanted to be older. Well, I've gone through that stage. Now I'm old. Guess what I want? Be younger, right? Amen. Now i got to confess, I don't, I don't want to live it all over again, but yeah, you know. And Madison Avenue takes takes advantage of us here, because if it's old, we want something what? New. New and improved, right? And the problem is, if it's new, we want something newer. And the beat goes on. If it's small, we want what? Something bigger. Boy, I'll tell you what, thank the Lord for super size. Amen? Don't give me that little Sort of pot. Give me the give me the big one, right? Now, don't give me that small thing of fries. Super size. I want something bigger. <laughs> but the sad thing is, we were we were out a few weeks ago, so a while back. Brother Marvin was with us, and we went to Frisch's. And of all things, he ordered one of those hot fudge cakes. And he told the waitress, he said, if you accidentally spill extra fudge on the cake, I won't get mad. <laughs> we want more, we want better, we want bigger. And if it's big, we want something really big. If we have $100, we want what? 200 yeah, give me more. If we want 200 we want $500. It goes on and on. When Pam and I first moved to Ohio, we lived in an apartment for a couple of years. And it did for a while, but we weren't satisfied. We wanted a house. Uh, We rented a house for a while, then we built one. And I had a crazy idea. If you build one, you can build two. (laughs) So I built a second one. A little bigger. A little nicer. But then there would probably come a time in life, we don't want that big house anymore. I, uh, some years ago, there's a local attorney, and I went to his house to give him an estimate on something. I forget what it was. It'd been too long ago. Man, he had a beautiful, beautiful property. I mean, acres of green grass, horses out there running. I said, man, I love your place. He said, come over next week and mow my grass. Paul and Diane, you've been there, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not always greener on the other side. Sometimes we want to downsize. This is Fitz and Jeremy. If we have a job, we want a better job. Hey, Amen. We want, we want a better job. Uh, maybe a closer job, a bigger job. Uh, a job with a bigger office, better boss, better benefits, more challenge. Those who are single dream of being married. Those who are married, I'll leave that alone. <laughs> okay? I'll You feel a blank right. on that one you see the problem was none of this is unusual because we were born discontented we were born discontented and the sad thing is too many in our world stay that way throughout their life they're never contented now I have to agree I think a certain amount of discontentment can be good for us. It's not wrong to dream dreams about what the future might hold. Nothing wrong with that. Keep it within reason. The hope of something better is what drives us forward. The hope of something better keeps us working, uh, inventing, uh, striving, creating, all of those things. So it's not all bad, but don't let it control your life. But there is a kind of discontentment. And folks, it's going to lead in a wrong direction. Let me give you five signs that discontentment might be dragging you down spiritually. Number one, it's envy. Envy. And that means the not being able to rejoice when others have success. Envy is a horrible thing. Another sign that it might be dragging you down spiritually is uncontrolled ambition. And what that means, a desire to win at all costs. Folks, understand something. That leads to destruction. No matter what it takes, no matter who you have to walk on, no matter who you have to destroy the process, just win no matter what it costs uncontrolled ambition. Another sign that discontentment is dragging us down spiritually is a critical spirit. Now think about that. We tend to make negative, hurtful, cutting remarks about other people. That's a critical spirit. Another evidence of Discontentment dragging us down is a complaining spirit. Have you noticed in the world we live in today, it's never our fault. Our fault. It's always somebody else's. <laughs> we make excuses. We blame others. We blame bad circumstances for our problems. And we, we refuse to take personal responsibility. And we don't have the ability to be thankful for what we already have. Envy, uncontrolled ambition, critical spirit, complaining spirit. Another sign is outbursts of anger. Angry words spoken, hurling our words out, trying to hurt people, all because our expectations have not been met. You see, the, the discontented person, he looks around and he says to himself, I deserve something better than this. I deserve something better than this. And so, because he's never happy, you or he, because they're never satisfied, they want to drag others into the swamp with them. Now, by the way, I made a determination years ago, I'm not going to let that happen. I am not going to let that happen. Ben Franklin said this, contentment makes a poor man rich. Discontent makes a rich man poor. Good words. Good words. We need to understand something tonight, folks. Discontentment will eat away at your joy. It will destroy your joy. And I must confess, I've spent too many days, I've wasted too much of my life thinking about tomorrow. And didn't take time to enjoy the day that God had given me. So, it eats away our joy. at our joy, discontentment does. It also will corrode your happiness. It will destroy your outlook on life. And it will produce, it will produce a terminal jaundice of the soul. So that everything begins to look negative for us. Here's the problem. Here's the issue. We cannot be happy because we've made our mind up we're not going to be happy. We won't be happy. We cannot be satisfied because we've determined we will not be satisfied. And I want to tell you, folks, that kind of person is truly a lost soul. Miserable today, and guess what they'll be tomorrow? They'll be miserable. And the day after, and the day after, and the day after. So how can we overcome that? Satan wants us to be discontented. I know that. You know that. He doesn't want us to be satisfied. He wants us to be unhappy with our lot in life. So how can we overcome that? Now, if you were here during our series, we looked at Joseph and how to deal with bitterness. What was true then is true now. the best way to overcome discontentment is with good theology. Know what the Bible says. Good theology will help us overcome contentment. I've said this for years. We were cleaning our basement out. She said Pam was. I was watching. And she found some kind of a booklet Jeremy had made, I think, in grade school. And uh, he wrote down some quotes that he'd heard from his grandpa, from his dad, other people. And one he heard from me years ago was that wrong theology always results in wrong living. Uh, Jeremy, I need to tell you that wasn't original with me, so don't give me credit for that one, okay? I've heard it somewhere myself. But it's a fact. When your theology is wrong, your living will be wrong as well. And so to overcome it, we've got to have good theology. Now, by the way, any sin, in fact, sin always, no matter what it is, Comes about because of wrong thinking about God. That's the core issue. Wrong thinking about God. Wrong thinking about ourselves. And wrong thinking about life in general. Let me ask a couple questions. Where do you read in the Bible that God is a grandpa in the sky? Nowhere. Where do you read in God's Word that God has promised us everything we want? Nowhere. Where do you read in the Word of God that life is going to be a bed of roses? Nowhere. But somehow we've conceived or contrived those ideas in our mind... And it's all based on bad theology. A wrong view about God, a wrong view about ourselves, and a wrong view about life in general. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I don't know how this worked out. I didn't mean to do this way, but there are seven principles. (laughs) Seven principles. Now, by the way, other than than the Lord Jesus Christ, in my opinion, there was no greater Bible teacher than the Apostle Paul. Hands down. But it's interesting, here in chapter 7, Paul begins to deal with a list of questions that people in the church of Corinth had sent to him. And those questions covered topics like marriage, singleness, Eating meat offered to idols, how to worship properly, the order of the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, and even the resurrection. But here's what I find interesting the questions they were asking then are still being asked today, they are still relevant. Because the problem is, the problem is, man, for the most part, hasn't changed much. And so here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible gives what I believe to be some amazing insights, helpful insights, about discontentment, even though you'll never see the word used in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Now, as I said earlier, our text really begins in verse 17, goes down to verse 35, and so in this section, there are some, there's excellent teaching on topics that apply directly to the question of contentment, as opposed to discontentment. We're to be satisfied where God placed us. And again, I didn't read the entire passage tonight. But a few select verses. Because tonight, beginning tonight, I want to look at four principles. That will help us face and overcome the problem of discontent. Now I know what time it is and just real quick. Number one, you have to realize You are where you are because God has placed you there. It's by God's assignment. Verse 17. But as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord has called everyone, so let him walk. Verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Verse 24. Brethren, let every man, wherever he is called, therein abide with God. I don't think we can miss that. I think the meaning is absolutely clear here tonight. We need to live the life that God has assigned to us. God has given each one of us a job to do. He has gifted each one of us certain gifts in certain ways and has assigned us a particular place in life. And by the way, the original language of words are very strong and very definite. The Puritans used to say, God orders everything with perfect Wisdom. He orders everything with perfect wisdom. Is that true? Sure it is. But I wonder, Lord, am I able to say that and believe it? Now the problem is, almost without thinking, we want to change everything to some things. We don't want to believe that God orders everything. We want to say some things or a few things or even most things but surely not everything but the fact of the matter God does order everything. What about the pain in our world? What about the suffering in the middle of an evil world? How can that be ordered by God? One preacher said we have a choice. We can talk about that for the next 70 years and we still won't know the answer. Or we simply can say that God does order things because if he doesn't, he is not God. I want you to realize tonight, folks, the sovereignty of God is a wonderful doctrine. I've come to a place in my life I couldn't endure what we go through if I didn't believe, God was not in control. And if God doesn't order everything, He is not God. Let's stand together. Wow, what a, what a sobering thought. No matter what our lot in life is, God has assigned that. Do you realize, even tonight, the only reason we chose to serve God because He first chose us? Isn't that right? The only reason we love God is because He first loved us. God orders everything. So what's Paul saying? He is saying, stay the way God made you. Stay where God has placed you. In other words, no matter where you are, be a Christian. Serve God where you are, the place you are, the way you are, until God leads you to do different. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. And I I pray, Lord, well, I pray for myself, because God, I need this tonight, Lord. And I pray for all your children tonight. We need to hear this. Because more than anything else, uh, Satan wants us to be discontented with what God has done for us. But God, I pray that you'll help us to be satisfied, satisfied in Jesus. I pray, Father, you would draw us, everyone near to your heart. And God, to realize that you promised you would never leave us or forsake us, even to the end of the age. And that promise, God, is, is enough. It is enough. I pray, Lord, tonight that you will help us, God, to be a witness to this lost world to share the goodness of Christ wherever we go. We'll give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.